The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the editor of a newsletter that has been around since 1981. It's called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And you can learn more about that uh, by calling my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Or going to my website at miningstocks.com. You can also go to webeatthestreet.com. We beat the street.com to learn more about my work as well as that of my partner, Roger Wiegan, who will be joining me in the next few minutes. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to our show. I also want to thank the sponsors for this first hour of this weekly show. Those sponsors who make this show commercially possible during the first hour are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold Corp., Hawthorne Gold, Magellan Minerals, Metanor Resources, Riverside Resources, Sand Gold and Resource Consultants. Resource Consultants is the only non-gold mining company on that list. Resource Consultants is a licensed precious metals broker that is headed by Pat Gorman, who is a frequent guest on this show. And uh, we don't have Pat with us today, but we did have him last week and expect to have him on on a regular basis. And you can learn more about Pat Gorman's work and also a, a place where you might consider buying gold and silver products uh, at buysilvernow.com. You can go to buysilvernow.com. 
com, or call his office at 480-820-5877. That's 480-820-5877 for resource consultants. Well, our model portfolio is down slightly this uh, this year so far. We were down 2% as of yesterday, and that compared with a 5.23% loss for the S&P 500. Our gold producers are down a bit, uh, actually down 8%. Juniors, those companies that are not yet in production but are looking towards moving towards production and building viable deposits are down 2.4%. Uranium stocks down 3%. And gold and silver, the ETF that we use, uh, actually, um, uh, yeah, the ETF that we're using now is down 6.6%. and the Prudent Bear Fund is up 2.2% this year. We have 33% of our portfolio in the Prudent Bear this year, given our very bearish views of the equity market overall, at least at this point in time. And uh, with that large awaiting, a 2.2% gain has helped us to avoid losing as much as the S&P so far this year. But Dr. McHugh's latest uh, missive, uh, well, I should say early this morning, Tuesday morning, uh, he suggested, uh, or he stated, I should say, and I quote, we believe catastrophic super cycle wave C down has started and should take two to four years to complete. By the time this wave completes, life could be very different. He went on to say the CRB index generated a new buy signal Monday as its price rose back inside its upper and lower two standard deviation Bollinger Bands. Gold remains inside a larger rising trend channel from 2008. So does the HUI. They have fallen to support the bottom boundaries of these channels. If prices break below those support levels, that would be bearish. And uh, we're going to talk to Roger Wiegen in a few minutes about his views on the gold market right now and see to what extent he might agree or disagree with McHugh. I'd also like to mention Robert McHugh's noon missive today, and he writes something every day uh, at noon and also at the end of the day, uh, usually in the wee hours of the morning it's published. And I would suggest you might consider subscribing to technicalindicatorindex.com, technicalindicatorindex.com for a daily uh, update on Dr. McHugh's views of the markets. But in any event, let me just quote for you what he said today. Stocks are up sharply midday Tuesday as wave C up of two up unfolds. This rally may need another day or two to complete if it is forming a small bearish, a small rising bearish wedge. Once complete, wave three down of three down should send fear through the markets again. We have updated charts midday Tuesday for the industrials S&P 500, NDX, and Canada's TSX on pages 5 through 9 of our letter. That's Robert McHugh talking uh, today. And uh, Dr. McHugh is suggesting that the C wave down will be, and I quote, one for the ages. He's also called it, quote, a cataclysmic nation-changing event. Well, these may sound like really radical statements. What I'd like to encourage each of you to do is to keep an open mind with respect to the markets. Don't automatically agree and think that NBC, CBS, and ABC, Fox, and all those mainstream channels are telling you the truth. They're telling you their truth, the truth that they perceive from their perspective. And that truth is a truth that's geared to making them money and keeping you buying paper products, paper products that can be manufactured on Wall Street. And those products are a heck of a lot easier to manufacture than gold that is produced from the ground and other real things that people who generate real wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, 
uh, the farmers, the inventors, people that do things that are really good for us, well, those efforts are, are quite gargantuan compared to what the uh, people that print money in Wall Street are doing. And those fellows are really in a game, whether they know it or not, of a zero-sum game that's, that's using their own intelligence to swipe and to, uh, to take money out of our pockets, the pockets of people that are working hard and really generating wealth for everyone. Um, global, I'm very concerned that we are moving towards a major uh, deflationary event, a, uh, an asset uh, decrease in asset values and equity markets and the commodities and so forth. And one of the things that really caused me <clears throat> to believe that's likely to be the case is a massive decline in what is known as the global U.S. dollar liquidity measure. <clears throat> we are looking at a growth of 48% early in the year uh, following, or I should say last year, following the Lehman Brothers' uh, decline. Uh, the global U.S. dollar liquidity measure is something Charlie Clow, Merrill Lynch, first made me aware of. He was on CNBC during the Asian crisis. And that is really U.S. dollars on the books of foreign central banks as well as our monetary base, the St. Louis Fed monetary base. And this is really the raw material from which money is produced. And the central banks have been pumping huge amounts of money into the system. Well, when we've seen these bubbles pop up before, we had the housing bubble uh, most recently and before that the dot-com bubble. And once this U.S. dollar liquidity measure fell, it wasn't long afterwards that the stock market fell significantly and other asset prices, commodities, fell very significantly. So what I'm telling you is that we had a 48% increase in the global U.S. dollar liquidity measure after Lehman Brothers. It has now plunged to 16%. Well, under ordinary circumstances, 16% annual growth in U.S. dollar global liquidity would still be a very, very hefty number. But these are not normal circumstances. We're looking at a time here, folks, when I think under there's extraordinary deflationary pressures because the debt has grown so so greatly uh, that it's that it, that more and more liquidity has to be pumped into the system at a faster and faster rate just to keep it from imploding to keep the deflationary depression from happening. I'd also like to mention that our inflation deflation watch is also apparently rolling over uh, by the looks of things. Uh, we don't have an outright bearish reading yet, but it is looking very very weak. So these are reasons that I think we could be moving towards a very significant deflationary event. And talking about deflation, we're going to have Ian Gordon with us today as our special uh, guest. Ian will be telling us why he thinks Dow 1000 is not a silly number. Well, if all that sounds like gloom and doom, there is some good news out there too, folks. And, and one of the places I believe that you have to look in order to protect your wealth during this very difficult uh, future is in the gold sector. There are some very, very good reasons why gold mining shares perform extremely well in these deflationary collapses. And we've talked about this before with, with Bob Hugh, uh, Bob, Bob Hoy, I should say, who's been a guest several times on this show. And I'm sure we'll have Bob on again sometime. But the, the basis of, of optimism for gold mining is the fact that Gold is rising relative to everything else. And one of the things I report on every week in my newsletter is the gold to Rogers raw material ratio. And since uh, the Lehman Brothers decline, gold has more than doubled relative to the Rogers raw material fund. It took an ounce of gold would purchase only about 15% of the Rogers raw material fund uh, before Lehman Brothers. It spiked up to 45%. And now it's been at around between about 30 and 36. It's actually ticked up to about 36%. So it's 
So one ounce of gold will now buy 36% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund, where it would have only bought 15% before the Lehman Brothers' decline. And this is consistent with what Bob Hoy has noticed over the last 300 years in these major credit contractions. So what I'm suggesting here is uh, that gold mining economics are improving very dramatically because the profit margins for gold is going up. The cost of producing it is going down relative to the price of gold. So don't pay attention so much to what the nominal price of gold is as the real price of gold because that's where the profits come from and that's why we invest in gold mining shares. We have a number of gold mining sponsors for this show. We're going to be talking to one later in the show. At the second hour, Bruce Braganolo of Timmins Gold will be with us. I um, last Saturday went to visit another sponsor of this, com- of this show, uh, uh, in Arizona, I went to with Dr. John Mark Stoudy to see his Riverside Resources Project at Sugarloaf Peak. And for reasons I'm explaining to my subscribers this weekend, this is one of the most uh, optimistic stories I have seen yet. I think it's a company that has 10, 20, or 30 percent, 10, 20, or 30 fold, I should say, upside potential. And uh, be sure to subscribe to my letter or learn more about my my work um, to learn more why I think. Dr. Stoudy's company is going to do extremely well, and we'll have Dr. Stoudy on sometime in the future. Well, we're coming on the break right now, and we're going to be talking to my partner, Roger Wiegand, as soon as we come back. So don't go away. Roger will have some comments, I'm sure, on some of my comments and, and where he thinks the markets are heading as we get into this year. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific time on the voice america business channel i am jay taylor your host for turning hard times into good times gold has risen from 250 dollars to well over 1200 dollars since 2002 that has greatly improved gold mining profit margins 
and profits for gold investors, but mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Trending Hard Times in the Good Times. I have with me my partner, Roger Wiegand, who writes an excellent newsletter, a weekly, very extensive newsletter called Trader Tracks. It's chock full of goodies, all kinds of information from around the globe, and Roger um, also provides a very a detailed technical analysis of the major markets. And in fact, in my newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, we also uh, include his summary of the major markets. Welcome, Roger, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi, Jay. Well, it's, uh, it's good to see you again, to, to uh, talk to you again after, we, after I met up with you out in Phoenix at the show. How was the show for you? Well, the show started slow, but we had a fast finish. We met lots of readers and investors and traders. Our speeches went well. Uh, I was a fill-in MC on a couple panels. I was able to participate in another panel, and I had a good workshop. Mm. So all in all, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the event, and we're looking forward to the next one at the Wealth Conference in Phoenix again. Well, that's coming up just in a few weeks, isn't it? And yep. I might just mention to people that you could uh, go to We Buy silver now uh, pat gorman's website that i mentioned earlier in the show to learn more about that about that event it's um you know i'm just forgetting what pat's uh pat's website is but i did mention it earlier in the show i should know it by heart anyway um so not a lot of sunshine roger we're sitting inside the uh the arena there um and uh but what about the markets? I mean, you you said some sent something to your uh, to your broker today, Ryan, um, basically suggesting the markets that you thought were looking good for making money this year. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you like right now and what you might like later on in the year? Sure thing. We've been waiting for things to kind of break up and settle down and base, and we're we're pretty close to that right now. We think. So uh, I sent him an email this morning to go over and review our favorite markets that we prefer to trade uh, both in futures and spread options and options in our futures and commodities section in our newsletter. Obviously, of course, our two favorites are gold and silver. We have open spread positions on those now. Uh, the gold is for April. The silver is for May. Uh, those are buy and sell up uh, a position in one month. Uh, they're very attractive because the cost to get in is not that expensive. 
Uh, it's a it's a low risk proposition. We've been fairly successful with them, and of course we have another trade uh, in the soybean grain area, which we opened a little earlier than usual. Typically, that trade we buy it on the cheap in March at the low price. We're usually out in June, and those are November contracts. And uh, we we're five for five for the last five years, so we 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 love that trade. Could you give our listeners just an idea about how much they might need to invest in a, in a single contract or what the spreads might cost them in terms of cash Well, typically right? those spreads, Jay, are between 1000 and $1,500 to buy one position, which covers a buy and a sell. Uh, they, may, they may, let's say for an average of like $1,200, expect to, to reasonably gain either a double or a triple uh, if you look at them collectively in a group, I think we probably would get two out of three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our, our record is pretty good in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, uh, we didn't have that many trades because we didn't have that many setups that we really liked. Uh, with a small number of trades in my own personal account last year, uh, I finished the year up 95%, so I had no complaints. Well, that's not so bad. Um, what <clears throat> What do you think uh, investors should? How much should they invest to? Uh, uh, you know, how much should they put into an account? You, I mean, one of the main things with this kind of trading is that you have to have staying power, right? Because you can run into periods of time when when you don't do that well, and you can see your portfolio shrink. And then, you know, if you don't, unless you have enough money to stay the course, sometimes you you just you don't have to buy out, and um, and then you're not there to see the upswing. Well, that's true. We've had a few people that have started with a tiny amount of 5000 but quite frankly, it's better if you can start with an account size of 10 to 15 mm-hmm. Uh This is risk capital. Uh, because of the way we control risk, in, in my, my perspective, in my view, I don't think it's any more risky than owning shares, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because the, the thing that we try to work on more than anything is risk control, because if you lose your capital, you're out of business. Of so course, we, we prefer taking a, a small risk and taking uh, tiny bites of the apple, so to speak, and building an account for the longer pull. Okay, Roger, what about some of these major markets now? We, you heard my comments um, from Dr. McHugh. I know that you follow his work fairly carefully, and for the most part, your work uh, is fairly consistent with his. So your, your views of the markets are fairly consistent with his. He takes a very dire um, outlook on the market, talking about a cataclysmic nation-changing event, this major sea wave down. First of all, let me ask you, do you think that we are in a secular bear market, that what we've enjoyed since March of 2009 up until uh, just recently has been a bear market, or let's say a bull, a cyclical bull within a secular bear? Absolutely, Jay, I agree with that. I think that the the, the long-term secular bear market really began way back when the Nasdaq fell down in the year 2000. I think from that time forward, uh, we've had some dead cat bounces that have been rather strong. Uh, generally, it has fooled the investors and traders in the marketplace for the most part. Uh, the Lehman event really hurt a lot of people badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to trade our way out of it just to get even during that year, which I did fortunately. But... Uh, uh, from March last year through up until now, I, we think we've seen the peak, and we also think that uh, we're in a position right now where things could be basing for one more run before the May uh, situation where, you, where we have our annual sell and may go away. I agree with uh, Bob McHugh's overall analysis. 
Uh, Bob is very smart. He's got very elegant software, and he's very careful with his numbers. Uh, frequently, Bob and I are close to the same answer because we are, are using our, our tech analysis based upon Elliott Wave and some other things that are that is mutual to both of us. So, obviously, now and again, you're going to come up with the same answers. But the C-Wave down is the big one, and uh, I think it started. It would probably take several months to play out. Uh, there's some things that could happen this spring and or this fall that would cause things to accelerate to the downside. But I don't think there's any question uh, in my mind, from what I can see technically, that the C-Wave has started, the top is in, and we're probably going to see some more uh, dead cat bounces or rallies with it within the bear market itself uh, between now and May and perhaps again this fall. Well, of course, McHugh is talking about a two- to four-year uh, time frame here for the C-Wave to play out. And when we get Ian Gordon on, hopefully in a few minutes, uh, Ian will be with us and we'll get his sense in terms of the timing of this uh, of this event. I know Ian is predicting a 1,000 on the Dow. Uh, do you think we could see a number like that? I think we could. Uh, many years ago when I was doing some analysis on the Dow along with some other markets, I could easily see where if it got bad enough, you would the, the market could get ripped to the tune of 90% like it did in the 1930s. And if that were true, uh, it would take us right back to 1,000 points. Uh, the question then becomes, uh, you know, what would the plunge protection team do and some other people who could manipulate prices and markets? Okay, we're... Um... I want to ask, uh, just invite our caller, our listeners to call in if they'd like uh, today to ask questions of Roger, myself, or Ian Gordon when Ian comes on uh, later in the show. And that number, it's a toll-free number people can call in. It's 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Roger, Ian is going to be joining us uh, right after the break here. And, you know, Ian is talking about some, some pretty dire Dire numbers, 1,000, as, as we said. Um, what about the bond market? What are your views on the bond market? I know well, you've been bearish on the bond market, but, you know, the bond market just doesn't go down. It just seems to remain strong for, for you know, in spite of the fact that we're, we're having these horrendous deficits. First of all, the bond market does move rather slowly, as you know. I mean, it can take many years on a trend uh, to, to finally hit a point where it's going to do a pivot reverse. Uh, I'm very bearish on the bond market for the long pull. We're right now on bonds today, uh, real-time. The March uh, 30-year bond is at 118. It is down uh, two-tenths of 1%. It did hit a high nearly 120. It was 1191 on the open today. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are ways to short it. You can short it with the futures, which can be tricky. Uh, the spreads uh, really don't play out. You can't get a good bid on those. Uh, there's a TBT, which we're both aware of. Mm-hmm. We've had some start fits and stops on that, so I, I don't recommend that one yet. Okay, Roger, we're going to be talking to Ian Gordon in just a few minutes after the break here. Uh, you know, hold your questions for Ian. We're going, to, um, we're going to talk to him about several issues. But the main question we're posing to our listeners today, Dow 1000, is that a silly number? Ian Gordon is going to tell us why he thinks it's not a silly number. Um, Well, what do you think? Feel free to call in, and uh, we'll be right back to talk to Ian, who's been with us once before. Uh, Those of you who've heard him know he's well worth uh, the time to listen to. So we'll be right back uh, after the station break.
whether the market's up or down. Or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. It's time now for our special weekly guest, and he's Ian Gordon this week. Ian has been a personal friend of mine dating back to about 1998 when he sent me his newsletter, I guess he had read mine somewhere on the Internet and suggested that we trade letters if I was interested in his work. And i got to tell you that I was more than interested. I found it very, very compelling, extremely interesting, because it not only included technical, good technical analysis and fundamental analysis, but also provided a picture of history and how history does, in fact, repeat itself in many, in many, uh, in many ways. You know, there aren't that many people out there in the markets these days who have much of a sense of history. I really like people who 
who do. Bob Hoy is another example of a guest we've had on this show from time to time. Robert Prechter, of course, also has been a guest on this show. Uh, Congressman Paul certainly is a person uh, who looks at history as well. So history is very important, uh, and that vision of history and Ian's bullish views on gold led him to start financing junior gold mining companies at a time when nobody else was doing it. Ian could see that gold was going to be in a major bull market, and I think it's in a bull market of a lifetime, quite frankly, for reasons I think uh, Ian would agree with. We'll we'll pick his brains on that one in a, in a few minutes. Uh, in his more youthful days, I don't mean to say Ian's an old guy, but uh, he was once a British in the British military, uh, and then at some point in his life moved to Canada, where he's been in the financial sector, uh, in the brokerage business. Uh, he was. Uh, stockbroker in Canada and British Columbia until just recently. Uh, Mrs. Taylor, my wife and I have met up with uh, Ian and his wife Jan uh, in British Columbia, a lovely lady, and uh, I understand beats Ian at uh, at golf. I hope I I hope I'm not uh, getting myself in trouble for saying that. Ian has some rather shocking things to tell us today, uh, but they are, in my view, very well founded, and that's why he's on this show. This is the second time we've had Ian on this show today. We want to examine where Ian thinks we are in terms of the 60- to 70-year credit expansion, credit contraction cycle, also known as the Kondratiev cycle, and uh, more directly to the point, why it is that Ian thinks 1,000 on the Dow is not a silly number, and also why he thinks 4,000, a $4,000 gold price, is not a silly number. Welcome, Ian, to uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you very much, Jay. Ian, um, at the end of this show, uh, over the next hour, I'm hoping that you can explain to our listeners why, you know, why that is the case, why 1,000 on the Dow is not a silly number. But for the benefit of folks who may not have uh, listened to our first show, I want to ask if you can tell us a little bit more, uh, just mention Nikolai Kondratiev and his work, and tell us why, who he was and why he's so important in your, uh, in your thinking, uh, if you would, please. Uh, he was a Russian economist who uh, 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 developed a thesis on a long economic cycle, uh, which he wrote up in the mid 1920s. And um, it's uh, approximately uh, 50, 60 years in length, and, um, and we're now in the fourth of those Kondratiev uh, cycles. And this fourth cycle started in 1949. And I've broken the cycle into the four seasons of the year because I think that that's an appropriate description. So each of the seasons is about a quarter of the length of the cycle. Mm-hmm. I like to say that the cycle is a lifetime cycle, and therefore we only live the cycle in a meaningful way anyway uh, once, Therefore, it's very difficult because we haven't lived where we are presently situated in the cycle before for us to recognize where we are. Um, anyway, so the four seasons, uh, spring is the birth or rebirth of the economy. And in our present cycle, which started in 1949, sp- spring begins in 1949, and spring ended in 1966. And then we went into summer, and summer is the time when the uh, economy reaches its fruition in the cycle. And um, it's also the period in the cycle when we have uh, a massive inflation, Um, simply because in each of the four cycles that we've uh, going through, or currently living through the fourth one, 
there's always been a war in the summer, and it's always been financed through uh, printing of paper money. In the first cycle, it was the War of 1812. In the second, it was the U.S. Civil War. In the third, it was the 1914-18 World War. And in the fourth cycle, it was the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of summer, you get four things that tell you that you're going into autumn, and those four things are a peak in interest rates. And I think people will remember 1981, 15% interest rates. A peak in prices, the commodity prices peaked then at the end of summer. Um, a bear market in stocks, and we had the 81-82 bear market that took the Dow down to 777 in August 1982, and a recession. And it's the worst recession, really, of the cycle. And those four events tell us we're going into autumn. And autumn is always the, what I call the feel-good season. Things appear to be awfully good, uh, particularly because there's a massive speculation in stocks, bonds, and real estate in the autumn. And uh, so for most people, they, they think they're getting rich pretty quickly because of this speculation, because the housing prices are rising, stock prices are rising, and so on. But it's all the other thing that's rising quite dramatically during the autumn is debt. And then uh, at the end of um, autumn, the big stock market cycle peak signals the beginning of winter, and it's the payback period. Winter is the time when debt has to be cleansed out of the economy, and we're in that process right now. We're in the uh, cleansing process. And a massive amount of debt is having to be taken out of the economy. And in the U.S., the total debt right now is about $58 trillion. And much of that it will be wiped out uh, during this winter. And you can understand that that means it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, it's going to be difficult on both debtors and creditors alike. It's going to bankrupt uh, many banks. And it's going to bank a lot of... Corporations are going to go bankrupt, and a lot of people are going to go bankrupt. And it's not a very pleasant part of the cycle. And because of that, the stock market, which has been in the biggest bull market of the cycle during the autumn, so the Dow goes from 777 to 11,750 by January 2000, and I call that the real top of the stock market. Um, And people will argue, well, the Dow did much better by 2007, it did, but the S&P basically double-topped there, and the Nasdaq got nowhere near where it had been in 2000. So winter effectively began in 2000 with that stock market peak. Um, Greenspan sort of tried to uh, act like King Canute and, and turn the seasons back and, and get us into spring in a hurry, and so he brought down interest rates from 6 to 1%, flooded the banks with money, and that really created a massive um, real estate bubble, which we're now seeing. And I'm here in Phoenix today, and I can tell you that a lot of the sale signs all around uh, the neighborhood uh, were starting to see the ramifications of that housing bubble that uh, Greenspan was able to create between 2001 and 2006. So we're now in the winter. We're in the depression stage of the cycle, and stock markets are going to reflect that that truth. Well, if we're in the early stages of this depression, I, I, I take it you you think we are. You talked about a you know sixty to seventy year cycle evenly divided with all the seasons. And so, when would you say would you say then that the winter season began in two thousand? So we could be well into this, or well, we are. But you know, 
the, the fact is that this is the first of the Kondratiev cycles where the, we've been governed by a paper money system. Total all, paper money system. A total right. paper money mm-hmm. system. All previous cycles have been, you know, we've been in a gold standard system. And therefore, it's been much under a gold standard system. Uh, the economy has sort of corrected itself much more rapidly. But under a paper money system, you have the ability, the Federal Reserve has the ability to create money out of nothing. And uh, therefore, they've actually compounded the problem so that between 2000 and 2007, you know, Greenspan and his successor, Bernanke, just flooded the banks with all this money. And paper money is simply a debt, so that they increase the debt load uh, massively uh, within the economy. I mean, much of that debt was increased in the in the mortgage uh, business. Well, for certain, we had the the dot com fallout with trillions of dollars lost in the stock market. Greenspan floods the economy. Bernanke wrote his paper in 2002, "Deflation: Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here," in which he talked about showering the countryside with helicopter money, and that's basically what Greenspan did. They pumped huge amounts of money into the banking system. The bankers tried to make use of that liquidity, and they put it to ill to ill use, malinvestment, as the Austrians say, and we had the housing debacle. Now you have the trillions of dollars of debt that cannot be serviced because there's not income to service that debt. Well, why do you think it is that um, certainly Bernanke and Greenspan don't agree with what you just said? They don't believe that they've, they thought in fact, at least they said they thought they were creating all that liquidity to avoid a replay of the Great Depression. And I take it you think that's not going to happen, that in fact, rather than solving the problem, they've made it worse? Well, definitely. I mean, you know, they've compounded the Great Depression. This de- this depression, because of the debt, and it, you know, we wrote a paper uh, in which we call it, it's the debt stupid. It's just to understand that this is the is the problem for the economy. You don't, it, it, it's just like a, an individual. An individual doesn't uh, grow rich on debt. You know, they maybe have a million-dollar home, which uh, they have a, a massive mortgage that they have against that home. They own, let's say, own $200,000 worth of the home, of a million-dollar home. They have a, a car that they finance. They've got credit cards. All that debt, they appear on the surface to be wealthy. But they don't own the home, they don't own the car, and they don't own many of the assets that are in the home, the furniture and so on. Everything's being borrowed against, and that's really what has happened in the United States. So there's, you cannot create wealth with debt. And uh, that's what's going to happen this winter, is this debt is going to be expunged, or most of it is going to be taken out of, the, out of the economy so that the, in the spring, when we, we get back, where the debt has been taken out of the out of the economy, we, we can renew ourselves, and basically economies are built on savings. That's how uh, the capitalist system works, is that people's savings go into building the economy. And now we're trying to build an economy on debt. Well, it isn't going to work because it's now that debt system is all, or the debt bubble is already collapsed, and it can't be reinflated. Um, so let me ask you, Ian, what is this going to mean for average Americans then, what you're talking about? We're, we're already seeing unemployment rates that if you use the same measures of the, of the 1930s would be, you know, would be comparable, actually. John Williams' work suggests 18, 20% or so unemployment if we use the same measures. 
do you think this is going to get a lot worse? Are we in the early stages? I mean, let's go back to this 2000. If the, if the cycle began, if the winter began in 2000, as you suggest, we certainly haven't felt it until, I would suggest, until after the Lehman Brothers debacle. That really started getting people's attention, I think. But do you, so do you, where do you think we're at in this? I mean, if it's 2000, we're 10 years into this. Could we have another five years, 10 years, uh, five years more, five, 10 years more? How much time and how much worse is it going to get? It's going to get a lot worse. It's going to be worse than the last Kondratiev winter, which, of course, was the dirty 30s, uh, simply because the debt bubble is much, uh, much larger this time around because of the paper money system that's allowed. So we've delayed the pain by continuing to print more money. Is that it? And right. it's just sucking us deeper but we into haven't, the, the, the pain is here, Jay. You've just told us what the unemployment numbers are yeah. in the United States. You right. know, we're seeing a 15%... Uh, unemployment uh, numbers already. Well, the, and maybe even higher than that of the number of people that just aren't have given up looking. looking for for work and so on. So the pain is already here. Unfortunately, it's going to get a lot worse. It's, you know, and I think that one of the big mistakes that people make is that they believe that their leaders are their saviors. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we've never seen in a sort of debacle like this that's been created by this Federal Reserve, by the central banks, not only the Federal Reserve, but the central banks around the world. They've all created massive amounts of paper money. We've never seen the leaders save us from that kind of uh, situation. Roosevelt didn't save the United States in the 30s. The Second World War took the United States out of the Depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, You still had double-digit unemployment going into the Second World War. So I think things are going to be worse. So in 1933, the uh, unemployment in the United States reached 25%, but I think it could be much bigger than that this time because mm-hmm. the debt bubble is much bigger. And it, I mean, that's a simple thing. It's one plus one equals two. And well, here we have a massive amount of debt, which is going to create a huge problem in the banking system because they're the big lenders. They're the big creditors. We've already seen banks being bailed out by the government. I think we're going to have a, you know, the next shoe is about to drop because the Dow is going to start, has started the next fall. Mm-hmm. And when the stock market starts to lose steam, the banks are going to get into, into trouble again because they're massive speculators as well. Yeah, well, we could say that the banks probably are in trouble now, but they've chosen not to mark their mark to market their assets anymore and nobody really knows how toxic uh, and how pathological those those well, portfolios I think, are i think the federal reserve has taken some of those toxic assets off their books off their books right so i mean the federal reserve is uh, i'd love to see its balance sheet it must be uh, horrible Roger, um, I, I want to ask Roger to, to if he has a question for you ian but before we get to that i uh, also want to ask you just to speculate what you're laying out sounds so obvious. You know, my mom, who went through her sophomore year in high school, could understand that. But PhDs in economics don't get it. Why is it so hard for Bernanke and Greenspan and these guys to understand the very basic fundamental truth that you mentioned, that in this fiat currency system, debt is growing exponentially and income just isn't adequate to service it? What? Why can't they get it? Well, Why I don't think, they understand it? I think there's massive hubris here. You know, but they, they they felt that uh, you know the paper money system that they 
essentially had started to develop in the last depression because America ostensibly went off the gold standard system in 1933. It went on to a quasi-system where countries could uh, turn in their dollars for American gold. But, I mean, people, the United States citizens couldn't even own gold until 1973. Roosevelt confiscated their gold. So uh, we've never really, we, we weren't on a gold standard system since the 30s, since 1933. And uh, it's, it's an, enabled the banks and it enabled the United States to print copious amounts of money in the 30s, Roosevelt, to try to fight the Depression. Uh, that didn't do it because we, the whole purpose, the whole progress was to get the debt out of the system. And, and that's what really happened all the way through. And then when the Second World War came, you had, uh, you know, war bonds were being sold and people were starting to save servicemen overseas were buying into the war bond issues and so on, so that staving started to build quite uh, dramatically mm -hmm. during the war. And you're starting to see in the same process occurring now. Americans are starting to save because mm -hmm. they're scared. Yeah. And, um, you know, those that can save are starting to save. And that's what we need. We need the debt to be wrung out of the system and the savings to be built up uh, in the economy so that we can start refreshed in the spring again. Roger, but, have you got a question for Ian? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with Ian on his 1,000. I'm just wondering uh, how long he thinks it might take us to reach the bottom. I think it's going to take another three years. What do you think, Ian? Well, actually, um, I think the Dow will bottom sometime in 2012. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason I picked 2012 is uh, you know, Jay knows I'm a huge fan of W.D. Gann, mm -hmm. and Gann was probably one of the greatest cycle theorists of, of anybody. Uh, he died in 1955, but a lot of Gann's work is around these sort of, these numbers, these cycles sort of, cycles repeat themselves around special uh, annual anniversaries. So you have really... You have an anniversary, the 2002 bottom. You have the 1982 bottom, which started the big autumn bull market. And so 2012 would be uh, anniversaries of those two bottoms. So I sort of think that we'll see the bottom somewhere around sometime in 2012. Um, now, that's why I wrote a paper in 2007, just using those GAN numbers, saying this is it. And you might remember, Jay, I talked to you in about August of 2007, and I used mm -hmm. that phrase, or that sentence, this is it, Jay. Yep, I know you. And um, because of when those Bear Stearns funds uh, failed, it was obvious that the debt system was about to collapse. So uh, 2007, you can go back 100 years to the 1907 stock market crash, and that really was the reason for the, the birth of the Federal Reserve, that 1907 crash, so 100 years. You can go back to 1857, which was another crash in stock price, 150 years. You can go back to 1987 crash, 20 years, and so on. So I was able to see all these GAN cycles coming together in 2007, and it was obvious to me that that, that was it. There was no way we were going to get out of this. Well, I would say that that uh, jives pretty well with Robert McHugh's numbers, too, looking at two to four years, he's suggesting, for a, a C wave down. 
I, Ian, I know you, uh, as Roger and you both follow McHugh's work, uh, what are your thoughts on that? McHugh is talking about a cataclysmic nation-changing event. You're talking about a thousand on the Dow. That sounds pretty cataclysmic to me. Do you? So I would guess you're pretty much in concert with McHugh's views. Well, I, I'm in concert with both he and Robert Prechter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact is that the the stock market has to reflect the reality of the economy, and we're talking about a uh, you know an mind-boggling depression here brought about by the overwhelming amount of debt that's pervasive throughout the economy. So, um, you know, Dow 1000 is basically going to reflect that kind of uh, situation. But let's uh, just get into why we picked Dow 1000. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Ian, from a technical, historical, and fundamental point of view, if you could comment on that. Yeah, I guess you hit on the on the fundamentals a little bit just briefly, but... But go ahead, tell us, how well, did you come up with that number? The number is, and, and um, Dow 1000 was a massive resistance point. It was uh, reached in 1966 at the end of the spring. Uh, so the Dow hit 995, so five points below 1,000 in 1966. So between 1966 and 1982, the Dow basically hit 1,000, or just above it, or just below it, 12 times. So that number became a, a, a very, very important resistance point. It broke through 1,000 in 1982, November 1982, which was the beginning of the big autumn stock bull market, where the Dow had bottomed at 777, in August 1982, in November, it was through 1,000 and on its way to 11,750. And um, so that resistance point becomes a support point now for prices. But I've, I've written a paper, Dow 1000 is not a silly number, which is on my website, but there are several other reasons why I picked that number as well. I mean, one is just that this, this is the Kondratiev winter bear market. So every bear market is always a reflection of the preceding bull market. So the bigger the bull, the bigger the bear. I mean, it's that simple. So the big bull market, autumn bull market of the third Kondratiev cycle was the Roaring Twenties bull market. And the, Dow, the bear market that followed in the winter from 1929 to 1932 took the Dow down 89%. Um, and... But the transportation index, which was probably at that time the senior index, because the industrials were made up of a lot of uh, newly formed companies like the automobile companies, uh, refrigeration companies, RCA, Radio Corp of America, and so on. So they were much more like the high-tech stocks of today. You know, they they were fairly new entities into the industrial sector. So the transportation index was always looked upon as the more senior of the indexes at that time, indices at that time. So the transportation index lost 93%. And if we were to lose 93% from 11,750, that would take us almost exactly down to a Dow 1,000. Um, the other thing I've argued in my paper, Dow 1,000, not a silly number, is the, is the mania aspect. And... Uh, People who've written about manias cite things like the South Sea bubble, 
the Mississippi bubble, and uh, even the tulip bubble. But nearly everybody who's written about bubbles like Galbraith and so on also cite the Roaring Twenties bubble. And in effect, what happens with these big bubbles is the, the values go down below the point from whence they began the big bull market. They go below that point. And if we were to repeat the experience of 1921, 29, and then the bear market that followed, actually it would take the Dow down to 500 this time. And I know that sounds outrageous, uh, but Robert Precht is talking of a Dow below 400. These are uh, horrible numbers because they do indicate that things are going to be very catastrophic in the economy. But we're going through a massive change, too. You know, in the last depression, the United States was the world's wealthiest country. Uh, she had essentially financed uh, the Allies in the First World War, and she came out of that uh, as the, the largest and strongest creditor nation, and she uh, evolved in the 20s as a great industrial power. Um, now the United States is the world's largest debtor country. So it's going to be much harder to fight the depression that's up upon us. They can't just keep printing money because eventually, and I heard Roger before I came on talking about the debt, you know, and about U.S. debt and how bearish he is. Well, you've got to be bearish on, on bonds because it, they are debt and there's just too much of it around. So uh, the U.S. doesn't have the wherewithal this time around to fight the depression. Well, Ian, we are coming on a, a commercial break we need to take now, but I um, want you to hold that thought. Uh, Robert Prechter, I think, on the other hand, is somewhat bullish on on paper and the U.S. dollar, and I know that's that's one difference you have with him, and I'd like to ask you about that and maybe get Roger's input into that as well when we come on uh, back from our commercial break uh, in a minute or two. Um, let me just ask you, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back and discuss that further, and there's many, many more things to ask Ian about uh, with respect to the bond markets, commodities, and a lot of other investment ideas, gold mining, and so forth, as we come back after the break. We'll be right back. Don't go away, Ian. Gordon will be with us once again. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, 
Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific time on the voice america business channel i am jay taylor your host for turning hard times into good times gold has risen from 250 dollars to well over 1200 dollars since 2002 that has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors but mining stocks are very risky so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Try to 
heart It's just a lovely ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm back with Ian Gordon of The Long Wave Analyst. And you can learn more about Ian's work by going to thelongwavegroup.com, thelongwavegroup.com. Actually, Jay, it's not the, it's just Long Wave Group. Oh, okay. Longwavegroup.com. Just omit the. Uh, longwavegroup.com. Uh, and you can learn more. I guess there's a lot of free information there, Ian, but you're also, I think, going to start or have started a subscription-based service as well. Is that right? Well, we haven't started it, so everything there is... Uh, is freebie is, so far. It's free, yeah. Well, people should take advantage of it because there's a lot of good stuff there, I can tell you that for sure. Uh, at the break, we were talking about, um, you know, Ian, you've given some of your technical reasons for why you think Dow 1000 is not a silly number. But I'd like to go back and, um, and maybe ask you to look at some of the parallels between uh, the attitudes that people had during the early days of the Great Depression and the attitudes that people seem to have now in this downturn. Uh, there was a lot of optimism after the bounce back from the initial decline in the equity markets, for example, in the 1930s, from what I read. And people were pretty sure that, that we were onward and upward and that the worst was over and, you know, the good times were here again. We're hearing a lot of the same thing now. Would you care to comment on that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, mean, I was subscribing to a, a blog, I think it's called 1930, and I I quoted it a bit in the Dow 1000. It's not a silly number, but simply to show uh, the attitude in uh, after that first recovery high uh, following the stock market crash of uh, 1929. So, you know, the, the stock market peaked on September the 3rd, 1929 at 381. The Dow was 381. And it dropped into November the 14th, 1929, and lost 48% of its value. Most of those losses occurred in the crashes during October. And from that point, you know, the response of the Federal Reserve, which was relatively new because the Federal Reserve was born in 1913, was relatively new, was very similar to the response that uh, we've seen uh, this time around, although not uh, quite as as drastic as as, uh, Bernanke has done, you know, dropping interest rates to zero and so on. But the Federal Reserve during the crash of 29, it only took 13 weeks uh, to lose 48% of its value, dropped interest rates uh, from 6 to 3.5% and flooded the banks with money uh, to try and get the thing, to try and get it sort of restarted. And, of course, they, they were able to effect a with all that money flooding into the banks to effect a recovery in, in the stock prices so that into April 1930, the Dow recovered 30% of its value, and everybody thought these geniuses, they've been able to 
get the bubble going again, and uh, everyone got back into the stock market much as they've done this time around. Um, unfortunately, as I've tried to say many times, the stock market ultimately has to reflect the reality of the economy. And the economy didn't really come around. It was the stock market that came around, but the economy didn't follow uh, very very dramatically uh, the recovery in the stock prices. And so after April 1930, the stock started to go down and down and down. And uh, in 1930, uh, they lost another 50% of their value. And even then, with those losses, and if you read this, uh, 1930 blog, you'll see that even during that time that, that there was still a hint, and particularly from the brokerage firms, that things were going to get better and you better buy stocks now because they were cheap. And so on. so we're gonna, you get the same kind of uh, push today uh, to try and get people into the stock market. And I mean, that's really what Wall Street's all about, is uh, making commissions out of people so that uh, um, you know, they can pay themselves big fat bonuses. But um, so we're really, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It takes, it takes an awful lot, Jay, to break the habit mm-hmm. because we've lived essentially in a Kondratiev cycle. We've lived in a bull market, an ongoing bull market, not only in stocks but in the economy as well. So we can say from 1949, all the way through to 2000, that we've lived in a in an bu- ongoing bull market in stocks. Yes, every now and again where we've had some setbacks and so on, but it's always got better. Right. And it's the same for the economy. So that ever since 49, and you could even argue ever since 1932, uh, things have always gotten better. So that mm-hmm. people, it's very hard to break that habit. And that's what I try to say is this cycle is a lifetime cycle. Mm-hmm. We haven't lived a winter. We haven't lived a depression, so we don't recognize it, and we always believe that somehow things will get better, and mm-hmm. therefore we stay in stocks when we shouldn't be in stocks. Mm-hmm. We buy houses when we shouldn't be buying houses. Uh, yeah. We make the mistakes because we believe that the, the people in, in control, the Federal Reserve and the President and so on, have the power to get the things going again as they've always done in the past. Well, it doesn't happen in the Kondratiev winter. That's the depression stage of the cycle, and things don't get better. They get an awful lot worse. Well, I think this is why uh, I appreciate so much the historical perspective you bring to us, uh, yourself, Bob Hoy, Robert Prechter, other people that have mentioned that we've had on this show, because, in fact, it is difficult for us to see the forest for the trees. We what is real to us is what we've experienced, not what somebody said happened a long time ago. So to be able to step outside of the life that we've lived and to take a look at history, and not just one, but as you were saying, this is the fourth cycle that we've seen. And Ian, I'm wondering, going back to what you said in the first hour of our show, the Kondratiev cycle, you said this is the fourth cycle, but I think Nikolai Kondratiev actually looked back at earlier cycles, did he not? No, he didn't. I mean, he, he, he started... As as I st- you know started, I mean I simply took his his first two and a half cycles because that's when you know he wrote his thesis. Mm-hmm. Two and a half cycles had sort of been accomplished. He 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 started the cycle with the dawn of the industrial Re- revolution. So 
The Kondratiev cycle essentially started in 1789. The first cycle started in 1789. Okay, I think maybe Robert Prechter had done some work yeah, uh, he has. earlier he's gone, on. He's gone a lot earlier than that. I think even Bob Hoy quotes from earlier stages than that. I mean, you know, I, I, I've looked at mania, so I've looked at the South Sea bubble and the Mississippi bubble that John Law did in France in, the, in 1720 and so on. Mm-hmm. And you know that those bubbles particularly John Law's Mississippi scheme, uh, were all basically developed out of a, you know, a, a massive printing of paper money. Right. And so you've got this huge speculation occurring in John Law's day, and when the bubble burst uh, in 1720, what was the, what was the response of the, of the bank, the Bank of France, to try and keep the bubble going? It was simply to print even more money, which is exactly what the Federal Reserve has been doing this time around. And so we don't learn from history. No, we don't. Um, Ian, you're talking about, not only are you talking about 1000 in the Dow, but you're talking about a $4,000 gold price. Now, historically, what we've seen, oh, over the last 100 years or so, there have been two, three, four times when the Dow to gold ratio approached a one-to-one ratio. But here you're talking about a 0.25 to one ratio, if you're right. $4,000 gold price uh, and a one thousand dollar and a one thousand Dow. Would you care to walk us through your logic for projecting four thousand dollar gold? Well, um, and I, I I don't have a, an easy answer to why I pick four thousand because I mm-hmm. I just pick it as something that it seems to me that the demand for gold is going to become so uh, so acute that everybody's going to want gold because they. They just don't want paper anymore. They don't trust it. They don't want to be in paper. And we've already seen that run to gold uh, has been occurring. I mean, the gold price has gone from 252 to wherever it is today, 1100 or 1050 or whatever it is today. I, I, I don't really watch the day-to-day machinations in the market. Mm-hmm. So we've already seen that demand occurring, you know, for gold of people to own gold. And I recognize this because I knew my cycles, that even in 1999, I was saying that it was the time to get out of stocks and the time to get into gold because I knew that the cycle was ending, uh, it was shortly going to come to an end because of that dot-com mania that was going on. And uh, so we were able essentially to start to pick the bottom of gold at 250 uh, dollars an ounce and go into gold, and that was really the right decision because gold, uh, the price of gold uh, and the Dow was at a 44 to 1 ratio, and it took 44 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones Industrials in July 1999. Today it takes about 9.5 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones Industrials. Now, in 1932, when the Dow bottomed, at uh, 41 points, uh, gold was fixed at $20.67, so it took uh, two ounces of gold to buy the Dow. In 1980, when gold peaked at 850, it was a one-to-one relationship. Um, now we know we're in the winter, and that we know the demand for gold will be uh, every bit as strong, and actually much more. Strong Stronger than it was in the 1930s. But in the 1930s, the demand for gold was enormous. Uh, everybody was, and it was all legal until Roosevelt became president, everybody was swapping their paper 
going to the bank and giving them $20 and getting just under an ounce of gold. A U.S. gold coin, a Liberty or a St. Gordon's was 0.98 ounces because the gold price, the U.S. dollar gold price was fixed at $20.67. And um, so effectively when Hoover was leaving office in 19... Uh, just before he left office in 32, his secretary of the treasury said, you know, we don't have the gold to back the dollar anymore. Um, it's, you know, there's been such a run on our gold. And um, that's why when Roosevelt became president, he confiscated the gold to replenish the treasury, you know, because they didn't have the gold to back the dollar. Um, so we know that there was a massive demand, but that occurred principally in the United States, because of the failure of the banking system. People got so frightened by owning, having paper money locked up in banks and so on that they ran to bury gold in the backyard or whatever, uh, hide in, in gold. And uh, this time around, it's going to be a worldwide phenomenon, the desire to own gold. And suddenly we have a massively developing industrial power in China where wealth is developing uh, quite dramatically. And these uh, Chinese, 1.3 billion, and when people want to own gold, they don't want to own an ounce. They want to own lots of ounces. Mm -hmm. And we only mine 80 uh, 80 million ounces of gold a year. That's all that's produced, 80 million ounces. Well, you you know, I don't know how many wealthy Chinese there are, but if you've got 1.3 billion, even if it's 10%, you know, those people are going to want more than an ounce of gold. And so the run to gold is going to be very, very dramatic, as it was in the 1930s. And therefore, I think, with Dow 1000, we're not going to see the one-to-one relationship because there simply isn't enough gold to go around and satisfy the demand that I see coming. And therefore, 4,000 seems an appropriate number. And that would be a quarter of an ounce of gold to buy the Dow Jones. Well, Ian, you mentioned China, and <clears throat> we have uh, weekly on this show, uh, except he's on vacation this week, Chen Lin, uh, who is from Beijing. His parents still live there. They were uh, engineers in China. They had a good life in the communist country because they were sort of the upper, I suppose, the upper crust of that society. Chen is very well plugged into China and the culture there, and Chen has an appreciation for gold which I think Chinese people do. In fact, they do not trust their government as Americans trust our government to fix things. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. The demand could be insatiable, and the effective demand from the Chinese, because they have wealth is shifting there. There's no doubt about it. Right. Uh, I would like to ask you about China. Uh, I should say uh, Japan. Where do you think they're at in their cycle? You know, Japan peaked out in 1980. Do they still have a lot of downside in your view? Or, or well, you know the you know the 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 winter begins with a great peak in the stock autumn stock bull market the great mm-hmm. bull, stock market bull price peak and for Japan that was December 1989 when the Nikkei hit nearly 40,000 and so their winter began in say in 1990 and they've been in the winter in a deflationary environment ever since, almost ever since 1990. And their banking system essentially collapsed. Mm -hmm. And they've still got to go through worse. And the problem for Japan is, I mean, they've got two problems. Uh, You know, when I first started to look at Japan, I thought that they would emerge as the greatest um, 
nation, you know, because of the savings and because of the, um, you know, the, the uh, because of their wealth too. I mean, Japanese, you know, had the, you know, the, they were the largest creditor nation at, the, at that time. But this depression has basically sapped everything. They have a massive debt to uh, GDP ratio, so that I don't know how they're going to get out of this. And I, I really see the Nikkei bottoming somewhere around about four thousand, and then you know we're going to have a really a sort of a fairly weak recovery. China is the country that's going to rule the world, much as the United States has ruled for a hundred years, and Great Britain before the United States ruled for a hundred years. It always is the greatest creditor nation that's the boss. And right now that happens to be China, and I think Chinese, you know, the Chinese are going to be all the wealth is shifting east, and China will be the wealthiest. Oh, say, okay, Ian, uh, so you think that uh, with that happening then, that will be the death of the dollar and a new reserve currency, a global currency, perhaps backed by gold? I don't know if we'll have a global currency. I think, um, I, I do think we're going to have to go back to some sort of... Um, a regimen where you know where we don't have a paper money system which allows uh, printing this uh, you know at at will we have to have something that sort of where money has some value to it and uh, so i suspect that we will go back to some sort of standard whether it be gold or silver or whatever something that people can trust because uh, no one is going to trust paper when all this is over Ian, you mentioned uh, 2012 as being the bottom for the stock market. You've recently made some forecasts for your, your outlook for 2010. Where do you think the equity markets are going, the gold markets, in 2010, if you might share that with our listeners? Well, I think the, the Dow is going to, you know, I, I picked a price of 52.50, which is a mm-hmm. 50%, roughly a 50% drop from, from the recovery highs. So you're talking by year-end? Well, if it's not here and it's going to be shortly thereafter, don't forget that the bear markets, once they take hold, are pretty vicious and, and pretty rapid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, you know, we've got, a, you know, in the United States, there is a plunge protection team in place, but I think once the bear really starts to take hold, they won't be able to stand against it. Remember in 29J, the banks tried to affect the same kind of thing as the plunge protection team. Mm-hmm. They did go and buy stocks when we had the first crash, I think it was on October the 24th. They went into the New York Stock Exchange. They put up a lot of money to try and hold back the, they, uh, hold back the crash, and, and they did. You know, temporarily they were able to, people started cheering as they bought, you know, U.S. steel at, at $10 higher than it was trading for and so on. And they made a big show of this, trying to sort of affect, you know, um, put money in and sort of show that they were supporting the market. So we did, in effect, have a plunge protection team in place in, in the, during the 1929 crash, but it was to no avail, ultimately, because the stocks went down 90%, and they couldn't do anything about it. Okay, Ian, I want to ask you this. This is this is an inflation-deflation topic, and we're going to have John Williams on again this show sometime in the near future, I think in a couple of weeks, actually. And Williams' contention is that when the dollar bottoms, that will be the trigger for a hyperinflation. Now, you obviously don't agree with that. How can you help me and our listeners reconcile that uh, that that difference? I mean, there is clearly if the dollar tanks, it's going to cost us a lot more to import things into the U.S., will it not? And that 
according to Williams, would then lead to inflation in the U.S. Why is he wrong? Well, you know, first of all, uh, the debt in itself is very deflationary because all that money is coming out of the system. And so you're already seeing a deflation, let's say, in the real estate prices and so on, a massive deflation in that. And you're going to start to see a massive deflation in stock prices. Um, and that in itself uh, destroys wealth. Um, but, you know, when you look at the dollar, you, you, you look at them all, they're all horrible. You know, look at the euro. I, I don't think the euro is going to survive uh, you know, it's a cobbled political c- currency, and it's not going to survive, you know, all these uh, peripheral countries going bankrupt. So I don't think the euro is going to survive. Uh, the Japanese yen in, in itself, because of the debt that Japan's amassed trying to fight its uh, depression, is is awful. So they're all awful. I don't think the dollar the dollar's bad. The pound is horrible. They're all horrible. I think this could be the death of paper money itself, Jay. Okay. Well, I, you know, not by the choice of politicians, clearly, but uh, or by bankers, because they're, they're having a field day. They've been able to wrestle wealth away from those that produce it. I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, people that actually produce things that make our lives better are, are not doing that well. But the bankers are running off with huge amounts of money in this fiat currency system. So you can bet your bottom dollar that the bankers and the politicians who are also gaining from the from the people that are having their pockets picked are not going to want to give this up very easily. So it's going to come as a result of the market's ruling, I guess. Yeah. No, now, course, no one wants to give up the power that you have. I mean, no one's going to give it up very willingly, but I think, I think the economy's going to take care of that, just as it took care of the banking system in the 30s. Oh, I, I, I don't think the banks are going to survive this very well. Well, Ian, I know that you are extremely bullish on gold mining shares, and that $4,000 gold price would be enormously uh, beneficial to mining companies if that were to happen. In an environment like you're projecting, that is a deflationary environment in which the cost of producing gold goes down, actually. And this is what we've seen in the 1930s. Bob Hoy has talked about it on this show uh, he's gone back 300 years, looked at the past uh, four, past three uh, cycles, uh, actually the past five cycles, this being the sixth. Each time he's found that once the credit contraction, the winter season, as you call it, gets underway, we see this enormous increase in the real price of gold. The price, the, uh, what an ounce of gold will buy, as you mo- mentioned, it will buy, it only takes nine ounces to buy the Dow now, where it took 44 ounces back a few years ago. And I can look at the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, which is what I look at. Before Lehman Brothers, or since Lehman Brothers, an ounce of gold will buy more than twice as much of Jimmy Rogers Raw Materials Fund. This, I think, is the case for, gold bull mark, for a gold bull market in the mining shares, and I'm looking at the bull market of a lifetime in mining shares. Would you tend to agree with that? I do, Jay. And, I mean, if you go back and look at the 30s, the move into mining stocks was huge. I mean, a lot of the discoveries in Canada that went along all along the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, also in British Columbia, in Red Lake, and so on, they were all made in the 30s. A lot of these mines that have been resurrected were mines that were uh, found and developed in the 1930s. Well, that development and that exploration had to come, money had to flow there. You, could, you weren't going to be able to explore without money. You weren't going being able to develop a mine without money. So capital 
flowed almost exclusively to gold in the 30s. Because that's where the profits were. Not only the profits, but people wanted to be in gold. They, They trusted it. And they couldn't, and Americans couldn't own gold, so the only way you could have a claim on gold was own a, own a gold mining company. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. I, I think that we're looking at uh, a very, very exciting time. I mean, as one who's covered the mining, uh, the mining sector, the gold mining sector, since 1981 during a 20-year bear market, uh, this is really a very exciting time frame. And I, you know, there are so many companies that are. Uh, that are benefiting, that are that are building projects, and now entering into production. In the next segment, we're going to talk to Bruce Braganolo, who is the president of a company called Timmins Gold. Timmins happens to be a sponsor of this program, but Timmins has also been a buy recommendation in my newsletter for some time. Thanks to you, Ian. Actually, I think it was you that first turned me on to Timmins, and you. Uh, actually were involved in helping Timmins uh, gain some financing um, early on at a time when it wasn't uh, clear yet that they were going to be a producer, but this is a company that's now going into production. Would you like to just uh, perhaps close out this uh, this half hour with a, with a comment or two about Timmins? Jay, I, I've, I've financed Timmins in every financing, even uh, pre-IPO. Uh, obviously, I'm very, very bullish on the stock. I have to admit that I own a fair amount of the stock myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the idea that here's a company that's gone from uh, you know, it had a, had gold in the ground asset, but it only had 50% of it. has 100% of that gold in the ground asset. It's now d- built a mine. It's now uh, in the early stages of production. They're going to be producing up to 100,000 ounces of gold a year. They've got tremendous upside potential in, in exploration, which could add significantly to the mine life. Uh, they have other great properties, all in Mexico, which I... I like as a country for for mining. It's very mining friendly, and so on. So, um, Timmins is is my biggest uh, shareholding, you know, in my portfolio. So, obviously, I like it a lot. Uh, I I think it's an extremely well managed company, um, and uh, I'm very 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 happy to sort of say that it's a company that uh, I truly believe is going to be a great success. Well, we are going to have uh, Bruce Bragnolo with us as soon as we go uh, to the break. As soon as we come back from the break, we're going to have a commercial break right now. Um, Ian, you, you again, give our listeners your website so people can listen or can uh, check out what you're doing and, and perhaps get some more stock tips. It's uh, longwavegroup.com. Well, thank you very much, Ian, for being with us once again. Folks, we're going to come right back with Bruce Bragnolo. He's the president and CEO of Timmins Gold, the company Ian was just telling about. They are also a sponsor of this show and a company that I track in my newsletter. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Bruce Bragganolo. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm really pleased to have Bruce Breganolo with us. He is the president and CEO of Timmins Gold. Uh, Timmins is also a sponsor of this show, and we're very grateful to Bruce and to the company for making this show financially possible. Timmins is also, has been for quite a while, a recommendation in my newsletter. I actually recommended to my subscribers that they buy this stock back in 2006 at 32 cents. It's now around $1.16, so we've done well. I do not think this is the end of the story, though, on the upside for Timmins. They are just starting production at the San Francisco mine in uh, in Mexico. I should also mention there are um, about 113, 114 million shares outstanding, I believe. The recent price has been around $1.16, so we're looking at a market cap of maybe $130 million or so. Uh, the symbol uh, on the Toronto exchange is TMN, that's Terry Mary Mary, and on the pink sheets, um, TMGOF, TMGOF are the symbols. Well, welcome, Bruce, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Yeah, thanks, Jay. 
good to have you here. And you uh, heard what your uh, your uh, financier Ian Gordon had to say uh, about you. I'm sure as long as things keep working well, Ian is going to be just quite pleased to call you his friend. But uh, Ian actually is a pretty loyal guy, and he'd probably stick with you even through some difficult times. But you are in production now. You're expected to produce about sixty thousand ounces a year, I believe, at the San Francisco mine in Mexico. Can you give our listeners a little bit of an idea about the economics of that? How much is it going to cost per ounce to produce? Yeah, sure. Uh, this year, we, uh, our projection is to produce uh, seventy to 80,000 ounces. We're, uh, right now, we have all of the equipment on site that we need, uh, and our cash cost over the life of mine uh, should be around the $400 uh, range, maybe a little higher than 400 but right around the $400 range. And we're constantly looking at ways to optimize our, our our production and our cash cost. So as you can see, at, at these gold prices, gold mining can be a very profitable business. Okay, so a thousand dollar gold, four hundred dollar cost, just for simplicity, gives you a six hundred dollar margin, times seventy to eighty thousand ounces right now. What does that help me out with the arithmetic here? What does that amount to in terms if you hit these numbers? The cash flow would be what? We'd look at what, uh, in terms of what are you expecting to generate in, in ca- operating cash flow this year, never mind, you know, after financing costs, but just direct operating cash flow from the operation itself. Right. Well, look, looking at a production rate of 80,000 ounces and a margin of 600, but that, that's a life of mine mar- uh, margin. So if we can get a 600 margin on um, 80,000 ounces, that's $48 million in cash flow. Okay. So you're $48 million in cash flow. You've got 114 million shares out. Is that right? Uh, we've we got about 130 million shares out. 130 million out right yeah. now. Right. And fully diluted, Bruce. 140. Okay, folks. Well, you can do the arithmetic. If if they're able to generate 48 million dollars in cash flow with 80,000 ounces of gold production, 140 million ounces, um, you know that that works out pretty well at something like. Um, you're you're looking at something like 34, 35 cents in uh, operating cash flow per share, Bruce. Yeah, something Before like that. taxes and all that? Yep. Okay. Now, what is the life of the mine that you have there now as it stands at this moment? Well, right now we've got a five-year mine life, uh, but we recognize that in order to get a better valuation in the market, we have to drill. So right now we've got three drills turning on site. Uh, we just announced in December that we uh, had additional uh, gold intercepts about 150 meters past the current planned pit limit. So if you take the the pit uh, in five years, as, as we're planning to extract it, we're now 150 meters beyond that, and we're hitting the, the same type of mineralization and grade that we're hitting inside the pit. Uh, and so we have 6,000 meters of drilling there, and we have another 10,000 meters of drilling that's in for assay right now. And sometime over the next 30 days, we'll be coming out with a news release regarding uh, our assay results from our, from our current program. We plan on drilling right through the year. We, we plan an extensive drill program for this year. How much money are you putting into the ground, Bruce? Well, we, we have to get our budgets approved uh, by the board right now, but uh, I would estimate it at least a uh, 50,000-meter program, which should cost around $3 million. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you expect them to be coming out with, a, with an updated 43101 resource calculation in the not-too-distant future? Uh, yes. Our plan is to take the existing 16,000 meters of drilling compile that with some historical drilling that we've done, and then uh, by Q2, so by April, early April, have a uh, revised 
resource estimate, and revised mine plan based on the resource estimate. Okay, so let's, well, it's hard to say. I guess once we, once we get the numbers, we can start to look at a, at a projected or longer mine life. I think you also talked about um, a new updated mine plan that might actually increase production beyond 80,000 ounces. Is that true? Well, the, we're, we're looking at a new mine plan based on a higher price of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can uh, now, instead of uh, mining a uh, 0.53 cutoff grade, uh, we can go down a lot lower than that. We're looking at the optimum uh, cutoff grade right now. It might be as low as 0.23 uh, grams per ton. Uh, so instead of turning uh, left when you come out of the pit to go to the waste dumps, uh, the same truck uh, will go right and go to the primary crusher. So the costs don't increase as a result of mining the lower-grade material. How much then, Bruce, uh, and I should maybe clarify this for people who aren't into this sector uh, as you and I are, but when you say 0.53 cutoff, we're talking about uh, basically a half of a gram down to a quarter of a gram essentially cutoff. That's right, yes. And what would that do then if you went to a quarter of a gram cutoff? Would that increase your resource significantly, the number of ounces that are mineable? Uh, it'll increase the resource. We don't know by how much because we don't have the uh, work done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anytime you reduce your cutoff grade, it should help the number of ounces, although it's going to also decrease the overall grade. And what uh, is the grade that you're feeding on to the, uh, the pads, the leach pads now? Well, the average grade uh, will be just under one gram, mm-hmm. uh, and that's very typical of the open pit uh, heap leach mines uh, in northern Sonora. Okay, so it's really a big with a, with a half exercise. a gram cutoff. Essentially, you're looking at slightly under one gram to average grade. Uh, that's right. Yeah, and you can produce gold at four hundred dollars or thereabouts with those kind of grades, given the circumstances, other circumstances. Now you're in a. This was a mine that was previously operated, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, one of the advantages we had, and one of the reasons we were able to take this mine back into production so quickly. Uh, is that uh, a lot of the infrastructure was already in place. Uh, for example, the primary crusher was already there. Uh, a lot of the roads, the, uh, the power, the water uh, were already there. We got the p- full permitting last year, uh, and uh, we're in uh, full production right now. We should be in commercial production, which is a, you know, a defined term, uh, by, uh, by early Q2 as well, so maybe a little before that. So we'll be running it uh, at, at uh, rated capacity of 11,000 tons per, uh, per hour, sorry, tons per day, uh, and uh, you know, at, at that level for 30 days. That's, that's how you get to commercial production. Okay, so Bruce. as it stands right now, we're, uh, you know, everything's there. We're, we're uh, extracting uh, ore at the, uh, you know, at the planned rate uh, as we speak. When will you be uh, reporting on production again uh, for the markets to... Well, you have to get into full production, first of all. So we'll start commercial production, as I said, by uh, probably our fiscal year end, which is the end of March. Mm-hmm. Uh, so early April will be in commercial production. Then you have one quarter of uh, commercial production, and that's when we'll be uh, making our announcement to the, to the public about our, uh, our production rate. Bruce, uh, if you're able to produce $0.35 cents operating cash flow, um, do you have a sense of how your peers, do you have some peers and what they might be selling for a multiple of cash flow? Uh, you know, I don't, uh, but I've been told by some analysts that they give, uh, five, you know, they give five times cash flow for 
for a um, you know for a five year mine life. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say ten year. Uh, if you get a ten year mine life, you get ten times cash flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of the larger companies trade it twenty times uh, or, yeah. or even more than that. Well, so I know you're looking. You to have get to larger. pick your own. You have, you have to you pick have... your own metric for valuing a company. Yeah, I know that you have lots of um, upside potential. You have exploration potential to San Francisco to go beyond that, beyond what you just talked about, I believe. Am I correct in saying that? Well, that's why we're drilling, Jay. The, w- the way to add value for our shareholders uh, is to drill and get that mine life up uh, beyond the uh, the current mine life. Uh, if we can expand it uh, to, or, or at least show that we can expand it uh, as we go, uh, then we, it should help our valuation. You have, in addition, uh, uh, I mean, are there other targets on the San Francisco beyond the existing mineralization, the one that you're stepping out and expanding? Uh, yes, there are. Uh, I mean, we've we've drilled uh, four kilometers to the north of the existing pit, uh, and we had uh, anomalous gold values of one gram, point uh, four. Every time we've drilled, we've hit. The rock that uh, that is to the north, uh, four kilometers to the north of the current pit, uh, looks very similar to the rock that's inside the pit. So we feel that we're uh, in a major structure here called the Mojave Sonora Mega Shear, uh, and uh, a long strike from us is the La Herradura mine of uh, Newmont Pinolas, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got a significant gold resource there uh, in the range of uh, seven million ounces of gold. Once again, around one gram. And, you know, our goal is to uh, systematically drill along this structure uh, and uh, determine uh, just how much we can add to the, uh, the, the mine life or whether we can get satellite deposits put in production. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting, Bruce. Now, I know you also have other projects in Mexico as well, do you not? Uh, we targets? do. We're right beside the, uh, I guess it's the biggest gold mine in Mexico right now, the Peñasquino Mine of Gold Corp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're tied on to their claims that's a very exciting area because uh, Canplatz, uh, at their Camino Rojo deposit, have demonstrated that the mineralization extends uh, you know, in, in a, uh, you know, to a, to a, over a large area in that district. So what we're doing right now is we're, uh, we've got uh, our geologists prospecting the ground, uh, and uh, we're, we're planning a uh, you know, fairly extensive program this year a preliminary program of prospecting and geophysics, followed up by drilling, uh, hopefully sometime in the summer. Well, it's very exciting, Bruce. I, I'm glad that I picked your stock at 32 cents or wherever it was a few years ago. Um, uh, it, uh, we're certainly very pleased with the progress your company is making. Um, where can people learn more? What's your website, timmonsgold.com? Uh, yeah, it's www.timmonsgold, T-I-M-M-I-N-S, gold.com. Okay, you know, folks, and uh, you know one thing that doesn't really uh, come out in the presentation is the excellent team uh, that we have in Mexico. Sure. Arturo Bonillas, our president, lives in Hermosillo, uh, and uh, you know I'm, I'm very confident in the abilities of uh, our team in Mexico to maximize production and also the geological potential at San Francisco and our other projects. Well, I'm I'm certainly uh, grateful to you, Bruce. I, I've met your your chief geologist there, and he is a fine man. Certainly has uh, great qualifications. Want to thank you for sharing uh, your information on on uh, Timmins Gold with our listeners today, and also, folks, like to invite you to subscribe to my newsletter, where I'll be following Bruce's uh, Timmins Gold and Bruce's uh, work there going forward as well. So we're going to come right back with the wrap with Roger Wiegand. Thanks again, Bruce, for being with us. Thank you, Jay. Uh, folks, we'll be right back with, uh, with Roger Wiegand to wrap up this week's show. 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm here with Roger Wiegand for the wrap-up of today's show. And, Roger, before, uh, before I turn the mic over to you, let me just comment, uh, read a uh, – I'm going to quote Jim Sinclair and something he sent out. To his, uh, to his subscribers today. He's a very astute gold investor. I know you know of Jim's, James St. Clair. Let me just read to you what he said. Quote, Dear comrades in golden arms, I doubt there has ever been a time in financial history when there has been challenges of this magnitude. This is not business as usual in any form. When have financial meetings been so top secret? When has the military cordoned off financial meetings? When have F-18s, F-22s, and the French raffles provided air support, as the Swiss did for the Davos seminar? 
for two central bank meetings in the last few weeks, as the USA and Australia did. Don't accept terrorism as an excuse for everything that remains unexplained. There are so many lies and so much misfortune, misinformation out there that the task of figuring out what is real is a daunting task. I implore you to go for safety in everything you do. How can you go wrong hunkering down? Do not speculate. You cannot out-trade these people, nor can you read their intentions by charts. Both are impossible. Do not deal on borrowed money. Secure you and yours. Take delivery of your precious metals and share certificates. We are in uncharted areas in international financial turmoil. The mega-rich have no loyalty to anyone or anything. I know some of them, made one of them from scratch, and I assure you would and I assure you they would put up their mothers in a microwave for the right price. This is a financial world war taking place behind top-secret meetings that are deciding our fate while not even knowing they are out of control. I can't change this, but I can do my best to protect you. Respectfully, Jim. Roger, have you any comments? Oh, I totally agree with him. I've been watching this stuff for a long time, as have you, and, and... You know, the information coming out of the media and the financial world, both in the U.S. and worldwide, and what we've gotten from our officials and manipulators in Washington, just doesn't rhyme. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Uh, You can tell they're struggling. You can tell they're failing. We're seeing the same mistakes over and over that were made in the 1930s, as we just discussed with Ian Gordon. Uh, Roosevelt and Hoover and are comparable to uh, Bush and, and Obama right now. I don't think there's any question about it. Well, what can we do, Roger? That's the question. What well, can we the main do? thing we've got to do is we've got to take care of family and, and our friends first, uh, get your personal life in order, get rid of the debts, have some cash in the house to get by if there's a bank run or a bank holiday, mm-hmm. uh, load up the pantry, uh, be invested in physical gold, number one, first, at least 10% of the first 100000 in accounts we recommend, and then uh, go from there as far as owning some good, solid share companies and doing a little bit of trading with some discretionary risk capital. Okay, Roger. Well, let's, uh, we're running out of time here. I just want to mention next week we're going to have Brian Rich of the Weiss Group is going to have some ideas about what, where he thinks the markets are going, and I can give you a little hint. He is a dollar bull. Yes, at least in the short run he is, and we're going to hear what he has to say. Will a bullish dollar sort of uh, get rid of some of these concerns that Mr. Sinclair is talking about, that Roger is talking about? We're also going to have Suzanne Zentner. Um, Dr. Zentner is going to be with us to talk about her uh, program for helping people protect themselves in terms of uh, the sort of life essentials that you should stockpile and, and make sure you have uh, in case things do spin out of control. And, of course, there are always times when you when you might need some protection when there's natural disasters occur, and they do occur from time to time, as we've seen over the years. But, but these are troubling times. I believe there's no question about it. Uh, I wish it weren't so. As Roger, you and I have talked about in the past, we could make money uh, in good markets. We don't need this kind of catastrophic nonsense to go on. Uh, we wish it weren't the case, but it is. So our deal here is to try to protect ourselves and our families and our loved ones as much as possible. And in that regard, uh, we would like you to try our newsletters. Chen Lin, uh, for $39, you can get a one-month trial. Roger Wiegand's Trader Tracks for $49, a one-month trial. That would be a weekly letter. And my three-month trial for $59 as well. Call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. 
718-457-1426 and go to miningstocks.com as well. In closing, I want to thank those people who have made Vo- uh, those people at Voice America who have made this show logistically possible. Tacy Trump for uh, she's my senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager and Justin Jackman, my engineer. Again, thanks to all of you folks and thanks to all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.